And we're back. Welcome to a combination of the Mike, Mike, and Oscar podcast and the Nomcast with Andrew Morgan. I am also Mike. Andrew, welcome, buddy. Thanks for having me, man. It's always great to, to hook up with you guys. As always, I told uh, Mike One to stay home so that way I could <laughs> steal all his glory and take all his political slants. So I'm glad that worked out as usual. You did. You had some fire, political fire, before the podcast even started. Yeah, Mike won who? <laughs> Mike who? <laughs> anyway, th- this is our eighth collaboration, so this is cool. I re- was really looking forward to this all week. And the strange thing about this is at the beginning of the week, we didn't necessarily know if you know the, the topic was going to have enough for a whole episode. Now I think we have enough for like seven episodes, which again <laughs> is going to make Mike you know thrilled in the editing chair. We put out a four-hour product today, but uh, it's a one, two, three. It should go swimmingly, one, two, three in terms of segments. Uh, we are going to talk some Netflix news right up top. I'm basically going to be interviewing you, Andrew, to pick your brain because I'm dying to know what you think of these these big big stories, these big Netflix news stories around the trial of Chicago 7, Mank, etc. Then we did something fun. I think we both kind of landed on this idea, <laughs> and we I've been doing top fives lately. You just did one with uh, the Eurovision Song Contest, your Will Ferrell top five. So yeah. I wanted to do a top five Netflix shopping list, <laughs> and this is kind of a cynical exercise in the sense that we are still patrons over at Mike, Mike, and Oscar of the theatrical movie-going experience, but what if... What if COVID, you know, <laughs> rages through the fall and we wa- we just want to see these movies bottom line. So which movies do we want Netflix to pick up? That'll be segment number 2. And then finally we will be reviewing the collection of 17 short films for Netflix's Homemade, which is a bunch of big name filmmakers, actors, actresses, directors, writers, cinematographers, and they have made short films while in quarantine, many of which are with their kids about their kids, by their kids. <laughs> and I'm going to have some things to say about that, but we're going to have some fun talking about homemade at the end of this. But uh, first things first, dude, Netflix news here. And I have four, like, Francesa, Mike Francesa-sized questions for you. <laughs> uh, and I'm dying to know what you think. The, the first one just dropped today. Variety published a report from Todd Spangler basically saying that Netflix has the world in the palm of their hands. They are the number one subscription streamer on the planet, despite major competition from HBO, Apple, and Disney of late. So like we were saying pre-show, the the streaming wars probably haven't necessarily started yet, or at least the bloody battles of the streaming wars haven't happened yet. But what do you make of some of these eye-popping numbers? What do you think of this uh, report from Variety's Todd Spangler that they could raise some prices eventually about the Wall Street valuations going up and up and up. What do you think of this? It's no surprise to me. I mean, we went over a lot of it. You know, one of our many collaborations uh, was kind of like this Netflix uh, year uh, you preview, know, to come, yeah. the, the preview for 2020. And we did that before, obviously, all the COVID stuff happened. Um, but obviously, you know, with people in quarantine and you know a lot more you know people at home relying on these services it's no surprise that Netflix had a had a big couple quarters here uh the only thing that is surprising or should be alarming uh to anyone like myself who pays attention to Netflix uh as a whole uh they haven't hit their stride 
at all in terms of the products. They got a surprise hit, obviously, with Tiger King. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're even losing things to come. I mean, The Office uh, leaving in six months, you know, is going to be a thing. They haven't been stripped for parts yet. Let's put it that way, because uh, obviously some of these other streaming services are kind of still getting their footing. However, something I said to you during that uh, that preview that we were laying out there is that a lot of these other streaming services are playing different games than what Netflix is. So the true right. competition is going to be, you know, Disney Plus to an extent, HBO Max, and then everybody else is kind of sort of doing a different thing. So the if you want to look at just Disney Plus and HBO Max, HBO Max couldn't have messed up their launch any worse uh, with how confusing it was, I, I still, you know, I have multiple uh, streaming apparatuses, uh, you know, apparati. I don't know uh, <laughs> systems, uh, you know, like Fire, Apple, you know, everything, and none of them have updated to having HBO Max uh, on any of them. So I couldn't even, even if I wanted to, couldn't even try to go find it. It's difficult to find. And then they stumble out the blocks with uh, the Gone with the Wind stuff and then having, you know, so controversy on top of people can't find you on top of the the confusion between if you have HBO Go, HBO Now, HBO Max and and trying to find that that, you know, is a stumbling block out the gate, unfortunately, because there's so many good things on it. I mean, you know, they are you know, really well worth the the price, uh, even for as what is it, twenty five a month, I believe, or something like that. Um, it, it's incredible, but uh, but again, and Disney, if it wasn't for the fact that Hamilton dropped today for them, they had n- no new stuff worth watching. I mean, Artemis Fowl couldn't have been a worse drop uh, for them <laughs> as far as like new things. I mean, the reviews on that were abysmal. Um, So, uh, you know, and that was the first thing they had new in quite some time that, you know, even piqued interest for a lot of people. So, I mean, if you're looking at the competition, Netflix shouldn't be too scared, although we will get to Apple Plus in a moment. But I mean, geez, you know, it's not surprising that people stayed with the consistency, the rock, the OG of streaming that is uh, that is Netflix. That was one of my favorite rants from you because <laughs> you fired a lot of shots and they they hit their marks. I, I'm pretty sure they hit their marks. But uh, yeah, this report was fascinating to me because I never saw the macro numbers. But Netflix is expected to spend 15.4 billion this year in 2020 on content after making 20.2 billion last year. In 2019 revenue, Andrew. So I finally got to see, in simple math there, how Netflix made almost $5 billion from last year to this in terms of what they're spending and what they're what they're making. I mean, that those are huge numbers. Yeah, most of that spend was the Irishman, right? There was uh, somewhere <laughs> in the few billion dollar mark there, right? So, right. you know, yeah, they're positioned well in terms of what they can, you know, try to acquire try to produce try to you know put out there in the world right now so you know definitely they're not slowing down let's put it that way yeah 190.5 million subscribers after quarter two i mean these are eye-popping worldwide numbers like you said i mean they are positioned really well going forward i think you might have backed the right horse right now (laughs) in terms of your podcast subject i'm clairvoyant mike get used to it (laughs) 
<laughs> so they made a couple announcements about their fall, and I needed to pick your brain about them. Uh, they set Charlie Kaufman's movie, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, to September 4th, and David Fincher's movie, Mank, was announced for October. Now, Mank was announced for October before the Oscars moved to April, so I'm wondering if that's going to hold. Mm. But I wanted to ask you about the fact that Netflix seems to be devaluing the fall in terms of the fall film festivals. They don't think the fall film festivals are going to play the same way that they may have, and, and I don't blame them. I don't think they're going to either. But the awardsiest part of award season looks to be this winter if we're having the eligibility period for the Oscars go to the end of February. We're going to have a 14-month calendar film year. So I'm wondering what you think of Netflix still putting out major awards films in September and October. Maybe The Trial of Chicago 7 will land there, or maybe it'll land in January. What do you think of the fall and what Netflix is doing? I mean, we'll see. I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, obviously acquisitions and everything else to fill out their schedule. But I mean, uh, one of the things you initially said uh, in previous episodes uh, about, you know, the the festival thing that definitely rings true for me when you guys said it, because uh, I thought the same thing. They said that everything should be done for them production wise through the end of 2020. But <laughs> There's a large possibility that, you know, hiccups can happen. Things might uh, come up to where, you know, they need to have some extra finishing or other things going on. Maybe these films were going to be ready in time for a certain release in 2020, but maybe not ready for the festival schedule that was to come out if they stayed on schedule themselves. Right. I mean, they, you know, who knows? Maybe now that Sundance is going to be uh, a big piece of the puzzle going forward potentially uh you know that maybe they'll be like oh no we were just talking about 2020 and then make a new positional stance uh in 2021 but i mean you know between that and and the few moves that they did make in their marketing department maybe mm -hmm. they are rethinking things in terms of the schedule i mean listen they sent Marriage Story, Irishman, all their big hits last year to all the major uh, festivals, and it didn't work out for them. So maybe they think maybe a different strategy is here. Maybe they only do it for uh, a couple of different titles, you know. But all in all, they have a business to run. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, the other studios, they're at the behest of, of, the, of the theater chains to be open to have them have a product that they can release out into the world. Sure. Netflix doesn't care. Netflix just goes, what's ready? We need stuff. We need content. We need things to put out there. So maybe they move things up, move things around. I mean, Defy Bloods might have been something we talked about that, I believe, at one point where it was like, maybe this was the only thing that was ready. And they had to move that up to a, a June release, uh, you know. You never know what's going on with uh, their schedule or any of these things going on. Uh, you know, the studios, the their news is out everywhere. Netflix could be cloak and dagger because they always are. And always. So you know, the fact that we know that they acquired the the trial of the <laughs> Chicago Seven like months ahead of time is wild to me. The fact that they're putting release dates on stuff in the fall is kind of wild to me, especially knowing that the Oscars got pushed back. Um, but you know, 
it's also are they releasing you know mank in october you know listen there's going to be an onslaught of these movies come the winter maybe they want to beat them to the punch you know maybe you know this is their version of putting stuff out in the summer uh you know uh, on the normal oscar clock schedule you know there's a lot of things that can go to play here or maybe they think charlie kaufman's film you know isn't as big a player but mank definitely if it holds in october is more of a, a statement but you know we'll see obviously things are still moving around for the major studios and obviously the oscars let's hope everything stays where it is but yeah COVID has a lot of things to say about that yeah, I think this award season is going to play differently no matter what happens, just based on the sheer facts of this virus. But it's strange because Defy Bloods, to me, I, I was hoping it was just going to be an across-the-board contender. And at least to my eyes, the way we reviewed it, you know, I think a lot of people have high grades on it. But at the end of the day, I think you know Delroy Lindo and the cinematography's there, maybe an incumbent screenplay nom. Bottom line is, it's probably not going to be that 10-nomination movie. So to put that out in June doesn't necessarily hurt its Oscar chances. It basically is what it is for Defy Bloods. I'm wondering if that's the same thing from thinking of ending things from Charlie Kaufman. What do you make of this property? Because I know we talked about it previously, and we were like, all right, best screenplay possibilities, get Kaufman back into the award season conversations. What do you think of I'm thinking of ending things? I mean, the way I read the description of the film and what Charlie Kaufman thinks of it, I mean, it's going to be, he, he, he called it a twisted nightmare road trip through the fragile <laughs> psyches of two young lovers. His kind of fun, as he put it. And, you know, I don't He's know so if that's... weird. I know, He's but I weirdest. love him. As far as a screenwriter, I love him. You know, yeah. I mean, his directorial thing, he's still pretty new. I know he won an indie spirit for his first film. You know, mm-hmm. so he's definitely coming into his own as far as directorially. But he only has, you can call it one and a half films under his belt. He co-directed his second film. So, you know, he's kind of still new at this. So the fact that he's taking on both roles, you know, who knows uh, what this is going to be. But as far as his screenwriting, he's an, he was an idol of mine at one point. The the adaptation the adaptation script is one of the rare scripts that I actually went and bought uh as far as that because nice. I think it's an amazing it like bent my mind and this was after being John Malkovich and you know uh coming into the fold so you know you know between those two films Confessions of a Dangerous Mind I think is a very underrated movie uh for his screenplay of that I love him as a writer so I'm looking forward to this the description he says, the fact that he's kind of feels invigorated by this, um, you know, it definitely screams fun. But I hope for probably a best adapted because this is based on a novel of the same title. Uh, so that would be awesome. But maybe Netflix is kind of being realistic that maybe a twisted thriller or, uh, you know, he loves to play with philosophy and psychology in his films. And maybe some of those don't lean into Oscars as much. So maybe a September release is a fair place to put it. Um, so I'm hoping that that, you know, is the case. I'm just hoping for a great film. I mean, to right. me, I mean, we'll get to all the other stuff Netflix is putting out and what they got coming up and what they've put out to this point. Uh, but 
you know, I'm just looking for quality, and I think a lot of people are. So, you know, if we can get that before, because Tenant will probably move to, uh, you know, a whole different decade at this point. So <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out when the studios are going to be able to release stuff in theaters. But if they think they could beat them to the punch with some of these larger titles, you know, maybe this is the start of that in September. Well, I know I'm starving for good movies these days. It drives me nuts that yeah. things aren't getting released quicker. Like, just get them. I mean, at this point, I'm just like, I need new movies that are great, and I need to see them on a regular basis. So I'm with you in that regard. And and your whole explanation on, on the Charlie Kaufman movie fits. I still wonder what the hell they're doing What was with what was supposed to be the crown jewel of their Oscar slate this year. Mank, like, if that came out in October... I mean, that's basically the equivalent of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming out in July last year, which eventually, I think Mike and I both agreed, that hurt its Oscar chances at Best Picture. And Eric Weber from Awards Ace, a lot of the guests we've had on the show have told us, you know, it doesn't do you any good to be the favorite in September and October. You want to be the favorite in December and January. That's where you're really going to build Oscar buzz. And then again, it didn't help 1917 as much last year. But typically, that you know, it, it's a crowning ceremony, what happens at the Oscars in most cases. You know, My dog is trying to bang down my door right now like <laughs> Jack Torrance. <laughs> He's going to break through at some point. But uh, if, if you hear anything, folks, that's what it is. Anyway, I want to get to the crown jewel of our news segment here because the trial of Chicago 7 was bought by Netflix This was a buying spree over the past weekend from a lot of studios. Apple TV Plus bought Emancipation with Will Smith and Antoine Fuqua. That's showing some competition. The Killers of the Flower Moon, obviously. The Scorsese epic, his Mm -hmm. next monstrous $1 billion film, is going to Apple there. I'm exaggerating, of course. (laughs) But look, $56 million is what it costs Netflix to get the rights for this new Aaron Sorkin film. They bought it from Paramount. Uh, The trial was supposed to debut on September 25th in a platform release. It was going to go wide on October 16th, rather. And this major announcement obviously prompted our top five. But what do you think of Netflix being on the prowl trying to pick up what studios are worried about in terms of, you know, their bottom lines? I mean, this is a huge maneuver, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the right type of film for them. It has a lot of things that work well for them. They are very smart, obviously, in terms of knowing what the algorithm's going to pick up, how they can sell this movie to their to their people as well as obviously try to get some awards fodder uh, for it as well. They work well with Paramount. That's obviously been established. Sure. You know, they. It seemed like when I first started doing the Nomcast that. I, every other film was like, yep, they picked this out of the trash pile at Paramount and bought this out or, you know, it got rejected from Paramount and they bought the script or did this. So obviously the Irishman is the big deal that they got that from Paramount at some point. Uh, the Lovebirds they just got, I believe it was also a Paramount uh, mm-hmm. feature. So they have a history of working with Paramount and trying to acquire products of theirs. So that's no surprise. I think a lot of this also has to do with um, Molly's Game actually having a second life on Netflix. I wouldn't just okay. you know take that down a notch. They you know that got a big buzz uh, between the multiple social media platforms and a lot of people watching it. Uh, you know, so I think the numbers played out well for Molly's Game there. So it kind of helps Sorkin in that regard uh, in terms of their eyes. Plus, they get to go 
you know, kind of back to back here with uh, they have a Joseph Gordon-Levitt film coming out in August for Netflix. Uh, so that's a sci-fi flick with uh, Jamie Foxx uh, as the co-stars of that one. Uh, so maybe they could parlay that into making uh, this a bigger year for Joseph Gordon-Levitt on their platform. So there's a lot of things here, and obviously it adds to their pile as far as trying to do the award circuit. And and maybe this is also a signal that they don't think they have the goods and uh, as far as the award stuff, and maybe this is their version of trying to add to their you know slate that they you know have available to try to go forward with that. So we talked about last year that the Netflix is not necessarily going to go in for the $300 million buy like they did with the Irishman. That was, you know, probably not the wisest move in terms of award season because it looked like they were trying to buy awards, you right. know, after the fact. Now, and I, I don't want to, you know, speak about them negatively because ultimately they gave a great filmmaker carte blanche to do whatever he needed and you know they really empowered him to do so sure is that apple's problem now yes it is but i do (laughs) think i do think this is what we kind of expected we figured mid-budget movies would start to find their home on netflix hillbilly elegy the midnight sky mank uh now the the trial of the chicago seven i'm thinking of ending things what do we think those budgets are they're probably somewhere between 20 and 50 million i mean this movie if paramount might have made 16 million dollars just boom profit and now they don't have to worry about putting out a courtroom drama in September with reduced capacity in theaters, which is most likely going to be the case, unfortunately, around much of the United States where, again, you know, an English language historical drama, is, it needs to play domestically. Like that's not going to sure. double its budget overseas, a movie like that. So this movie has to be an awards contender here. Everything's got to go right for it to be a hit. So the trial of the Chicago 7 going to Netflix, to me, it makes total sense. When I saw that story, I was like, duh. I mean, this 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 makes sense. And that's why we came up with this shopping list idea. <laughs> because there's a lot of movies out there that we just want to see, bottom line, right? Yeah. I think... I think there's a lot of indie films, there's a lot of mid-budget movies, and maybe a blockbuster or two. We're going to have a Hail Mary pick in here in our top fives. But I wanted to talk about the criteria because there are two facts in play. And I tr- I tried to trace like where all these Netflix movies are coming from, and I'm glad we I picked your brain about it a little bit going in and through that news segment. But... Fact number one is that Netflix has done business with every major studio and they still do business with every major studio. And that includes Warner Brothers, that includes Disney, who they're competing with. And I confirmed this by just looking at my queue on Netflix, researching where those movies (laughs) are from. And yes, I tabbed Warner Brothers, I tabbed Disney. But fact number two is Warner Brothers is attached to HBO Max. And Universal is attached to Peacock. And we have Apple TV Plus. They're in bed with A24. And we have, of course, we have Disney and Searchlight. You know, the Buena Vista films are going to go to Hulu or Disney Plus. And Hulu's also doing a lot of work with Neon and Lionsgate. So I don't think Netflix is going to get first dibs on new movies from those studios necessarily. So some of the overall fall slate, like if you guys out there are thinking of movies, oh, they should buy this or they should buy that, they should buy Halloween. 
Halloween Kills is probably not coming to Netflix because no. Universal would just put that on premium VOD, etc. So it definitely shrunk the pool a little bit, but I'm dying to know what your five movies are here. So let's start with you. What's your number five on the Netflix shopping list? Uh, number five is a movie that already has a trailer out, which wouldn't be shocking because the Lovebirds did too before they acquired it. So wouldn't be too shocking, but it is, would be a huge get for them. Bill and Ted face the music would be <laughs> huge for Netflix, but also given the trailer, it kind of looks a little Netflixy. Let's you know put that out there. It's kind of a big gamble. Would it get theater play? Sure, but will this also be a huge, you know, I don't know how much money they put into this movie. It doesn't <laughs> look like it has the biggest <laughs> production value uh, to me. It didn't scream that, but I mean, given the stars uh, and the fact that they have a Keanu meme from the, one of their titles that not plays nonstop on Twitter uh, with Always Be My Maybe, this screams Netflix acquisition. Oh, my God. The algorithm just got a boner, if that's possible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a great <laughs> pick for your number five. And I would watch that immediately on Netflix. Hell, I watch Eurovision like immediately on Netflix. <laughs> yes. Because you have to click play on those kind of titles. That's where I would watch Bill and Ted's Adventure. We, Mike and I just reviewed the trailer, and we were like, probably not, at least for me. But that I would watch it on Netflix. All right, my number five, I kind of went the artsy, extra fartsy route. Although this is a comedy, I want The Climb to come to Netflix. The Climb was mm. supposed to come out in March after being a film festival hit at Telluride, etc. This is Sony Pictures Classics. This is starring Gail Rankin. You might remember her as the wolf wrestler from Glow. And this is from first-time filmmaker Michael Angelo Covino. The Climb is just a story about male friendship. It's supposedly a funny movie about guys cycling up mountains. It's got its release date jerked around 17 times. Now it's supposed to come out at the end of July. That's probably not happening. Let's have Netflix swoop this up from Sony Pictures Classics. They have a great relationship with Sony. I mean, Into the Spider-Verse is doing gangbusters right now on Netflix. A lot of uh, uh, Tarantino films are up there, even though and Tarantino's the new you know crown jewel of Sony. So I think this makes some sense. Let's get the climb on Netflix. I think that's my number five. How about your number four? My number four couldn't be more obvious for them to pick up, and I can't wait for the announcement to do it because I'll be so excited. <laughs> Deep Water. Uh, oh, that's it, my number three. <laughs> it makes I love it. so much sense uh, for an Adrian Lyne erotic thriller starring <laughs> Ben Affleck, who already had uh, a, a, you know, a film on Netflix earlier right. in the year. It makes so much sense to have this in here. Uh, it also makes sense that Ana de Armas uh, mm -hmm. is the co-star here and that she already has multiple Netflix films uh, on their uh, site for the year. Uh, Blonde, 2021, yep. Well, yeah, I mean, that's in 2021, but she just uh, had a role in the Wasp Network that just came out. She, is she in that? I'm going to have to watch that movie She now. is. I'm and, a bad person. <laughs> and then The Night Court <laughs> just dropped on there. Obviously, it's not a Netflix right. film, but it's doing well. Like, it's been hmm. in their top ten roles when that first dropped. Uh, I think probably just basically because of her name. Uh, you know, and then she was in Sergio before that, which was a Netflix original. So they're definitely in the Ana de Armas camp, and they're definitely in the Affleck camp. And the fact that they're a couple 
screams Netflix being like, oh, my God, this is so pop culture so in the zeitgeist. We have to get this film. And, you know, it makes complete sense why they would do it. The guy who makes Fatal Attraction and Decent Proposal with these two people screams Netflix. And people are freaking horny out there, my friend. Oh, they yeah. are watching. On the Netflix top tens, I've been watch, I've been looking at it. There's like a trashy, steamy romance with nothing but nudity at like one, two, or three over the last three weeks. I mean, it is... Uh, it is something that will play, and that yeah, I had it as my number three, and I want to get that movie Deep Water this year before it gets awkward because when Ben and Anna break up and it comes <laughs> out in 2022 because of COVID, right. that would be awkward. Yes. I mean, that would be weird, so let's get it out now. All right, I'll go through my number four. It's Breaking News in Yuba County, and this is kind of a long you know, view kind of entry here. Aquafina, Allison Janney, Regina Hall, Wanda Sykes, star in Breaking News in Yuba County. This movie is about this woman who kills her husband and covers it up, and it's this crazy newsy story. It, it just feels like it'll hit a streaming service and do well. It, it's trying to sell at the Cannes Marche, or it tried to sell there. I don't think it's been made yet, but Netflix mm. has a relationship with Tate Taylor, the director. He, the, the help is on there now. He directed the first episode of Grace and Frankie. I think a couple of uh, of his other movies have hit Netflix. So Breaking News in U Yuba County makes sense to me. And I, I was kind of looking forward to that as like the next Aquafina, you know, Aquafina vehicle, the next Allison Janney vehicle, Regina Hall vehicle. I mean, good God, you got Oscar winners and award season, you know, rising talents like Aquafina in there. So I was I was keeping my eye on that movie. So that's my number four. I already did my number three with Deepwater. What's your number three? Well, Mike, unfortunately, I think I'm picking your pockets again uh, because <laughs> the ha happiest season. Oh, no, is, it's my number two. <laughs> I know. It's so perfect for Netflix, uh, you know, between the fact that, you know, Allison Brie, who just had Horse Girl come out for them and has a relationship mm -hmm. with them. Kristen Stewart, we're going to talk about soon enough with the uh, having one of her shorts in the homemade uh, entries that were there that we'll talk about soon. And, you know, the fact that it's a, you know, a romantic comedy uh, built around a lesbian couple and Netflix has done a ton of stuff for not only Pride Month, but just throughout the year in terms sure. of supporting the LBGTQ uh, group. So uh, it's it makes total sense for them to to pick this one off, especially like it's like we said, it's in that right price range. It's in that, you know, lower tier, but it has stars that they can market. It absolutely makes sense. And it makes sense to me as well, because there's a ticking clock on this movie. If theaters aren't back up by Thanksgiving, this mo this is a Thanksgiving movie. Like you have to put it on a streaming service, or you got to bump it to next year. Right. So they they have to do that. It's also from actor turned director Clea Duvall. She was in the Faculty, Mike. If you're listening, your your favorite movie, <laughs> and then she's also like the security detail in Veep, uh, and and the wife of her daughter. Oh my God, she's a great character in Veep. So Clea Duvall is not necessarily in that part of her career where she needs to be, you know, making the huge bucks yet. She just needs eyes on her movies, I think. So this could be a huge, you know, momentum builder for her career. Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, 
like you said, I, I think you know somebody could pop from this movie in award season. Plus, it's a Sony. It's a Sony TriStar production. Netflix has that great relationship with Sony, so that makes total sense. So that was your number three and my number two. Let's hit on your number two. Uh, my number two is Stillwater. Uh, okay. I th- think it makes a ton of sense. Uh, Tom McCarthy has Oscar pedigree. You know, it's Spotlight, a uh, long time, uh, very good director. And it's a Matt Damon film. I'm sure Netflix would love to have Matt Damon on their roster of people. Uh, you know, also a November release. So it's kind of in that mid zone of like, do they push it? Do they not? Uh, so this to me makes a lot of sense being a, you know, a thriller that they can dive into that, you know, a murder plot. So maybe not necessarily going to win the Oscars, but definitely could be something that would be really juicy uh, for Netflix going forward. I'm all about that. I think uh, I was tempted to pick it, actually, but I wound up going with another five. But I, I, I think Mike uh, is all about that movie. Mike One is all about that movie being an Oscar contender with Abigail Breslin, with Matt Damon. Uh, it's, it reminds me of the documentary about Amanda Knox. Yeah, right? a little because, bit. Yeah, because it's kind of an overseas murder plot put in jail. Right. Yeah. And that was a Netflix uh, documentary there that I watched, like, on the opening night it came out because I'm a true crime junkie, apparently. This last, uh, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just Trump presidency means that true crime is what I have to watch all the time, but <laughs> that's been my safe space. Anyway, my number one is also my Hail Mary, so I don't know if you picked something else for your Hail Mary, but it, it's A Quiet Place Part 2. And look... I am a patron of the theatrical movie-going experience, and I would prefer to see A Quiet Place 2 in a movie theater. But this is a Paramount film. They have that great relationship with Paramount. A Quiet Place 2 has a September release. The first movie was not on a huge budget. I, I should have looked it up, but it was not on a ridiculous budget. So I'm imagining the sequel is not going from 50 to $150 million budget. So I don't think it'll necessarily cost Netflix hundreds of millions of dollars, but it'll probably will cost them at least $100 million. This is not going to happen, <laughs> but I would, I would rather have this movie in September in our eighth month of quarantine at that point or whatever it is. Right. No, Six month of quarantine. Time is going by so slow. (laughs) Listen, I want these movies to start coming out. If A Quiet Place 2 got delayed again, I would be heartbroken. I'm dying to see that and many other of these blockbusters. So I was trying to figure, all right, if Netflix can pick off a blockbuster, which one would it be? A Quiet Place 2 seems to make sense with, you know, connecting those dots. No, that makes a ton of sense. I, I, I saw that as kind of like a Hail Mary thought myself. It's not in my top five. It's not my number one. Uh, but absolutely, once I saw that it's Paramount, it's a sequel that you know could absolutely play on a streaming service, I totally agree with you there. And John Krasinski's just been selling out lately, everywhere, yeah. so why not sell out big to Netflix? I, I, I think if Netflix is going to make that $300 million spend, like this would be the movie to make it on. Everybody, everybody would watch this yeah. in September on Netflix. I mean, it'd be a huge just show of their power and and that five billion dollars of profit that they got from the one year my goodness (laughs) anyway what's your number one there andrew my number one is also a hail mary but makes so much sense at the same time and it's a great bookend for my list coming to america i mean it makes so much sense 
Craig Brewer and Eddie Murphy teaming up again, the same people who brought Dolomite Is My Name uh, mm-hmm. to the streaming service last year. They already have a deal in place for the Beverly Hills Cop sequel that's going to be coming out. They So they're huge in business with Eddie Murphy. Everything is here. Why would this come to theaters when it could absolutely come to Netflix? Uh, it, it's a done deal, Mike. It's a done deal. You think it's a done deal? Oh, my God. I'm just thinking of being in quarantine in December when that movie is supposed to come out. But, oh, God, I hope not. But I, I for you, how about that? For you, the host <laughs> of the Nomcast, I will root for it. And I, I, I enjoyed the hell out of Dolomite is my name coming to Netflix. I probably watched that ten times. So, all right. So that's our Netflix shopping list top five. It's a very cynical exercise. <laughs> We're going to head into our review of Homemade right now. Uh, I do want to mention going in that Netflix is about to get short film crazy this summer. This was an IndieWire article, and it also signaled to me that it's been, you know, there's been some of the slowest news days on the history of the planet because <laughs> this was a huge-ass IndieWire article about three documentary shorts coming to Netflix over the summer. The Sundance winner, John was trying to contact aliens, which mm. is exactly what the title says. <laughs> South by Southwest winner, the Claudia Kishi Club about Asian representation in pop culture, and the Speed Cubers. And this is a 40-minute short film uh, about Speed Cubers, and those are Rubik's Cube competitive uh, competitive solvers or whatever. Why wow. do they make a 40-minute film on that? But all right, it sounds interesting. It's all coming to Netflix, my friend. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Those all sound very Netflixy, so none of that shocks me. I mean, uh, you know, spelling the dream, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just came out. You know, dealing with the spelling bee, or like, how can the spelling bee be so riveting and so you know uh, amazing as a documentary piece? Mm. Uh, tr- here's Rubik's Cube. Like, it's like Rubik's Cube is saying, "Hold my beer." So, like, you know, you got that going on. Uh, and obviously, those other titles seem very interesting to me, um, especially with the representation issue. I just got done watching Disclosure, uh, sure. or you know, the the transgender uh, documentary that wanted, you know, to kind of take a peek at you know the TV and media representation of them right. as well. So this kind of dovetails into that very well. So uh, I'm looking forward to those. All right, so. Netflix made a bold move by putting out a collection of 17 short films. You also made a bold move (laughs) in our correspondence before we got into this. Because we're like, all right, maybe we'll review a few of these. Maybe we'll just talk about our highlights. You didn't tell me you watched it on Tuesday night. Here I am (laughs) Thursday night. Or Thursday afternoon. I didn't have to work very long. And I'm watching these. And I am struggling. And I finally get through to the tail end, and I start texting you about it. And this is probably a me problem. I probably should have texted you earlier. So I started texting you on <laughs> Thursday late afternoon saying how bad some of these were. And you're like, dude, I already know. I watched them on Tuesday. Yeah. And then I'm like texting you, you're just a bad friend. How would you <laughs> let me watch like the 10 awful films. Yeah, you thought list. you were doing me a solid by telling me that X amount of them were bad and trying to like highlight yes. which ones you thought were bad so maybe I could skip them or not be as into No, 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 no. 
<laughs> I was friends, I was lying in wake. <laughs> friends don't let friends watch terrible short films. I think this needs to be a T-shirt somewhere. And I, I'll tell you this much: I will never judge a short film contest. Like if this whole film critic it's probably a good life idea really works out for me, I'm not going to become a teacher or a professor of, of uh, uh, at film schools. I can't do it. I mean, there's a reason why I'm a snobby Oscar critic. Right. There's an absolute reason behind it. I can't take films about kids where the kids are driving the story and where the filmmakers are relying upon these kids to improvise yeah the story so that's my biggest first take on the homemade series there are i believe four films or five films centered on kids yeah and and a lot of them are right in nuts. the middle uh, uh too where it kind of is like all right there were a few good let's uh let's get going here let's really pick up steam and then it really drives into the ground there was at one point i made uh, a note here and i will say i think i told you that i actually liked more of them than you did so this will be did. you like 10 out of 17 i like seven yeah <laughs> and again like is a strong word but there was one that i literally was like yelling at the screen so bad and <laughs> the netflix happened to ask me whether i was still watching like it came up with that screen and it was right after the one that i was like screaming uh you know all the expletives uh being like what is going on here so it was very tempting to bail and call you and be like listen i don't know if i have the muster to get through the last few here and that was after number 11 so you know i could have saved us a bunch of you know time but i think there was some good things to to watch and to talk about so we'll get there and there there, it ended really well like the last three films i thought were excellent and yeah we we kind of want to call out some titles so maybe we'll help our listeners watch like the right ones here yeah and then just skip the other ones all right so largely he starts it off uh, it's a teenager doing boring stuff in a you know with a drone but it's the Les Miserables filmmaker it's the Les Miserables setting this is the you know Oscar nominated Dirty Cops movie from last year on Amazon Prime right now and uh you know that's kids movie number one but it's it's not so much centered on the kid it's more about beautiful cinematography we get to the lucky ones with Rachel Morrison. You like this one more than more than me. She is the cinematographer. Well, actually, of... that's number three, Mike. But let right, me right, say, right. I'm not going one by one. I'm just oh, going I through see. my kids. I'm trying to do my kids <laughs> rant right now. Gotcha. <laughs> because... The one thing I did want to say about yeah. the one from Les Miserables director uh, is mm-hmm. that, you know, you're right. The cinematography was there. But did you also feel fortunate yet sad to be an American? When watching that one, as far as they were handling COVID? Yeah, they seem to have things much more spaced out. <laughs> yeah. They, they had like one market and right. everybody's in line like around the block to Very just try true. to go to this open air market. And to me, I was like, that's so smart. But yet, as Americans, we would never do that. <laughs> true. That being said, the American films, a lot of them shows just like extreme wealth and prosperity and beautiful settings. Like Rachel Morrison, the cinematographer of Black Panther and Mudbound, like she's got a great setup, beautiful kids, beautiful family. She's out and about in in nature. And that was like my limit of kids movies. Like after I saw her, you know, just reading that beautiful poem to her mom, that was fine. And in the words of my co-host, Mike One, 
that was fine. And you you like that movie more than me. I I'm like in the middle on that one. Yeah, you Here's need some where, therapy, Mike, in terms of dude, your your in respect to your views on children and their yes. the appeal of children. Although I do agree with you on a lot, a lot of these shorts in particular. But man, <laughs> if, if anyone I went can from... read your doc, uh, you know, <laughs> documents on these films beforehand, the slow just demise like that you're like the the mental gymnastics you're going through watching these shorts is wild to watch in real time i take rigorous notes and <laughs> i wasn't sure if you're gonna read it or not and some of that was just me hamming it up in those notes yeah, yeah. but some of it was just me being really pissed off and i was just like there was there was times where like i hate kids i'm never having kids and i really i went on a journey my friend <laughs> i went on a journey starting out this uh, short film collection i was like yeah you know what this is beautiful. This is a beautiful family. Maybe I'll have one of those someday. You have one. I'm happy for you. Yeah. I'm a little bit of a late bloomer. I haven't, you know, found a mate and, and figured it out yet, but I am still hopeful. By by short film, let's just say the middle of the pack here, Espacios, adorable little girl. Sure. No story. No. Hated it. What is essential? Scottish girl. David McKenzie, Hell or High Water director. Yep. Tells a story about his daughter. She says a couple, you know, profound things. Boring ass story. I, I just, oh my God. I'm, I'm like, at this point, I'm like, all right, no kids for me. And then Mayroon and the Unicorn comes out from the directors <laughs> of uh, Capernaum. Terrible. Number one, I'm, I'm never watching Capernaum. <laughs> that's official. Like, yeah. that's been on my list forever. And I'm an Oscar critic and I still haven't seen it. But right. I was like, no way. Can't do it. This was just a little girl, bless her heart, gibberish for nine minutes. Yeah. He wanted to make it known, uh, I believe, in the document that they were like, listen, this was shot all in one take. And that, you know, they were so proud that they were able to construct what they thought was a narrative out of uh, this nugget. Uh, no. And I will tell you uh, that. I believe was the one that I was saying that I had all the expletives come out of my mouth. Cause I have seen a million times better stuff in on YouTube of mm. little kids stuff. Uh, you know, I've, I've shot better things with my own children in spontaneity sure. than what happened there. Uh, no, completely wasted my time and yours. Uh, and I'm glad that we're doing this so we can tell the people what not to watch as well as what to watch. Avoid Espacios, What is Essential, Mayroon, and The Unicorn. Avoid those films. <laughs> Do not watch them if they show up. Yeah. This one was just nonsense. And I, this beautiful little girl, and I'm just hating her <laughs> like yes. an evil person. Thankfully, Gurinda Chadha, her film, it's the 15th film. It's called Unexpected Gift. Mm -hmm. This was endlessly entertaining. It had stakes for the story because it starts out, she's got a death in the family of her mother, her aunt and uncle die later on, and she, the family's dealing with that. It's from the perspective of the son. Oh my God, I love this family. I, I love families. My goal to reproduce someday was reinvigorated <laughs> watching this short film from the filmmaker of Bend It Like Beckham and... Uh, uh, what was it? Blinded by the light. Yes. Thank God for this movie because otherwise, I am. I might have. You know, I might have just uh, 
got a vasectomy. I'm not kidding. Yeah, I mean, they liter- it literally feels like a reality TV show, didn't it? Like you were just kind of in an episode an of her one. family. Yeah. yeah, no, I didn't mean that as a slight. I meant that as I like, yeah, yeah, I look down on reality TV. Yeah, no, I do. I don't watch a ton myself, but it does <laughs> seem like the better version of what's going on in a very short amount of time. Uh, she definitely has all the chops. It made me remember how much I loved Bendit like Beckham, uh, quite honestly, because they show a screening of her film, I believe, within it. They did one for charity. Uh, this woman does so many things. It's impressive. It makes me look bad as a parent. It makes me look bad as a person who tries to be creative. Uh, this woman never stops working, yet is a very dedicated person to her family. Uh, one of the things, as a parent of children who were, you know, going to school through this and everything else, that seems to be a somewhat of a theme through some of these films. Um, mm-hmm. It is interesting to see what people did with their time. Uh, my wife is definitely like this woman. Uh, big time because you know dads are lazy they're like you know hey go watch some tv go play video games do whatever get out of my face you know guys can be lazy like that women thank god are our better halves uh to try to get them to do activities as a family make this an experience you know try to cherish the extra time we have together and that was kind of the crux of what that was, you know, kind of do real things uh, versus screens, you know, doing activities, you know, right. working for charity. It's amazing. It just seems so genuine. It seemed like they're having such a fun time. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, I love that family. I love that short. I do have one bad COVID-related thought, though. When you were okay. watching it, did you feel weird about the aunt being at the ceremony with a lot of people, you know, in a s- gathering that wasn't outdoors and then having COVID later. Uh, I, yeah. I did feel weird about that, but I'm hoping, you know, that it's not related. But, you know, and, and within that little short amount of time, I don't know. That's uh, hey, that's a good uh, puzzle piece to put together there. Unfortunately, yeah, oh, I was playing God. bad detective. I'm sorry, <laughs> bad detective Andrew Morgan. <laughs> all right, my my second major take about all these stories is that I enjoyed the ones that were literally trying to tell me a story. I love the narrative shorts. I think more than the artsy shorts and this comes into play a lot for me the only one that i didn't enjoy that was that was more of a music video i'd say comes from uh sebastian lelio of a a fantastic woman Mm. he did the algorithmo algorithm and it's it's this beautiful woman who's just dancing in all these wacky ways it's such creative cinematography it's a fun song the music they did was great they all did it from isolation yeah so they were coaching her up on how to get all the the shots that uh that that she wound up getting on her own in her in her apartment so it's just it's a brilliant way to do one of these shorts and i thought the song actually had a good message that was one of the last three that i thought was excellent but maybe you know do you have any more takes kind of going into this or do you want to get to our bottom three top three yeah i mean i was kind of in the same camp as you like the overall thoughts it's like there's many categories of film between like you said the music or poetry expressions you got documentary Mm -hmm. style you got some bizarre stuff in here for sure uh puppetry (laughs) comes into play at one point uh you got a (laughs) rom-com type stuff you know so there's definitely a lot if if you want variety this is definitely the place to be uh, as far as that goes and like you said there and everyone tries to do different things with their you know storytelling whether it's a 
you know, having some kind of message to get mm-hmm. through COVID to actually talk about COVID in some uh, version of this. Obviously, some went straight story, like an entertainment value. Uh, and then some people went, you know, genre stuff, you know. So you definitely get a lot of different things. So I appreciated that there was a lot of different interpretations. I'm, I'd be interested to know if they put any kind of parameters on these in terms of either length or, right. you know, uh, or, you know, I've been in some of these things where, I don't know, have you done the 48-hour y- film festival? I, I have. Okay, yeah, I've so done it a kind of contest. I had that thought about this where I was mm-hmm. like, did they give them like – you know, hey, draw out of a hat, and you get the musical, and you get this one, and you know, I don't know if they would do something like that. Obviously, these are professionals, and uh, I don't know if they want to get that crazy. But I'd be interested to know the behind the scenes if there was any kind of requirements uh, or any kind of parameters set on this. So, uh, but you know, there are definitely a lot of different interpretations of what this uh, could mean for people. Okay, and I think I'm with you on all that. Let's let's talk our bottom three or top three, or uh, you can make as many references as you want here. All right, my bottom three, number three, last message, Naomi Kawase. This was just artsy fartsy shartsy nonsense for ten minutes, and I I want to like this filmmaker. It's film number eight here. She is uh, going to be with a can selection this year called True Mothers. And I am just, it's cinematography that drove me wild and got me dizzy. Ugh, film number eight, avoid that one. Yeah, my my number three, you're not going to like me uh, a little bit because <laughs> it's the Maggie Gyllenhaal one. And... <laughs> When, that's fine. When I, I, I get this. When, that's, that's when I okay. have to write down in my notes, did he just fuck a tree? Um, he did. Uh, and he did. Um, I, I keep, listen, I am a man who is affected by what I see on screen. And I've been trying to bang all the trees in my backyard to get a free toaster. <laughs> and it has not worked once yet. So I don't believe in anything in this film. It is confusing. The narrative doesn't make any sense. The only thing that's cool is fish flying out of water towards his uh, his log cabin, his home, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, that is just overthinking an idea. Uh, and I don't know, again, what they think it has to do with anything uh, that's going on right now. It doesn't speak to anything. It didn't speak much at all uh, besides people talking about an unrelated virus uh, that goes more sci-fi bend. Uh, this is terrible. All of that is probably true. <laughs> However, meanwhile, uh, also Mike was watching like five in a row that were just gruesomely horrible yeah. and boring. When Peter Sarsgaard, who went to my high school, started humping that tree, I perked up. Yeah, <laughs> and I got reinvested <laughs> in the short film collection. Yeah, so that was not in, that was one of the seven that I liked actually. That's from Penelope, Maggie right? Penelope. Yeah, uh, and yeah, that's uh, I'll get the number on that in a second. Well, I'll get the number later on. Maybe we'll go through all seventeen real quick at the very very end. All right, my number two. Yeah, I just want to put out there that your number three is my number two. So I am absolutely with you. On that, it was too artsy. I hated every minute of watching it. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not expletive-worthy uh, as my number one, but number two, definitely with a bullet. 
All right. I don't know how this is my number two and not my number one. I already mentioned it earlier. Bottom three, May Ruin and the Unicorn, the short film that made me not want to have kids. This little girl just spouting gibberish for ten minutes. It's boring. It's ridiculous. I hated the cinematography. They're using all these filters. It drove me nuts. The filters uh, really killed it. me, and that's why it's my yeah. number one. It, it should be the number one. But my number one, it has to be Crickets from Kristen Stewart. Like, her performance is good, but this, like, she has insomnia in here. And yep. at this point, I am just writing in my notes, all work and no play makes Mike a dull boy. <laughs> and then writing it over and over and over again, man, because I'm at a dark place at this point. <laughs> this is, what film is this? Uh, well, again, we'll go through the, we'll rip them off at the end. But this is one of the later films, yep. and it's just brutal, and it's boring, and she just can't sleep. I get it. She can't sleep. If you could, the end of movie after ten seconds of 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 a short film, you don't need to give me eight minutes on it. Yeah, it's number fourteen, and literally all I did was say that bed looks amazing, and it just <laughs> it made me want to sleep, especially as I was so deep into how many of these shorts are going on, uh, with a lot of them not being very good. So I was just like, Kristen Stewart's pretty. The bed looks amazing. Uh, not a lot of stuff here. I'm sure it's trying to speak to the fact that, you know, a lot of people are blending days and battling depression and insomnia versus this. But my God, the two biggest names to me whiff this thing completely. Make it interesting. Oh, I just off. All right. Well, that's enough negatives. We'll get into our top threes now. I already mentioned my uh, my my number three. It's Algorithm from Sebastian Lelio. I just I had fun with this. This was a fun, wacky music video kind of thing. Uh, what's your number three, Andrew? Uh, just to echo that, that was one of my honorable mentions I did kind of put <laughs> in there. So absolutely, I enjoyed that one a lot. I love it anytime someone is singing from the inside of their refrigerator. It's always a good time. <laughs> Uh, yes and the message like you said too the lyrics everything i enjoyed it uh my number three is number three uh the rachel morrison one that you uh said was at the higher part of your threshold for children Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. uh this made me realize that you are a monster sir and need therapy (laughs) for the fact that you can't literally just appreciate uh, someone comparing the time of growing up with their mother's mm-hmm. cancer room, di- you know, and the cancer diagnosis, I'm a and monster. comparing it to living with COVID and trying to protect your kids' feelings. You are a monster, sir, and deserve no but children. Listen. And may God have mercy <laughs> on your soul. But listen, listen. I ha- I was on board for the kids' movies at this point. If they were all this good, sure, I would have been okay with it. The problem was. You know, kid film number six, and she's just going <laughs> jumping on a toy unicorn. Um, that at that point, I'm like, why is this a piece of entertainment? And at that point, I'm like, no, I hate all these kids movies, and then I can't put them in the in the positive column. But you're right, the Rachel Morrison one was fine. I think if I just watched that and only that, I would have been okay, and I'm probably yeah, I, you know, turned into a monster later. The later this collection goes, for sure. And, and I think you may have mentioned it before. Before, but the the cinematography here is amazing because she's an incredible uh, DP. Uh, you know, Mudbound, Fruitvale Station, Black Panther. It, right. It's a beautiful looking film. The line that she says she acknowledges her privilege that she gets to have with her children and having enough money and things. Uh, like you said, she has a very beautiful home. It's kind of an open letter to her five year old. 
mm-hmm. who she says, be grateful, but also be five. And that almost brought me to tears because I have yeah. a five-year-old daughter um, who, You're you know, yeah, I'm trying to shelter my kids. You know, it's it's a very mm-hmm. big thing in my home, something that I try to recognize for myself that my kids do have enough. And a lot of people, you know, uh, evictions are on the rise around the country. Yeah. A lot of people losing their jobs. There's a lot of bigger things than what I have going on. Uh, so I try to acknowledge that, you know, my kids should be grateful that, you know, we've made things work the best we can. Um, but also be five, you know, go out, have fun, enjoy this extra time, you know, the shortened days of school, uh, the extra time with family, everything has to be, you know, cherished right now for whatever we could do in the positive. So I definitely echo that sentiment. And like I said, the cancer room comparison, uh, it's amazing. Uh, you know, my wife and I work really hard to spare our kids a lot of change and pain and you know i'm proud of us for doing those things actively but i do acknowledge that there were a few moments where things could have gone bad for us and and i have to be grateful of myself and and you know acknowledge all these things going on so i thought this one really hit close to home for me so definitely number three well that's very sweet of you and to somehow avoid Somehow avoid character assassinating myself. I do have an arc to my watching of this collection because I did mention before Unexpected Gift from Gurinda Chadha restored my sense that family values are important, that the human race should continue, and I don't think the world should burn, and that I loved her family, and I loved her story about her family more importantly. So, of course... I got turned back around, and I was a monster for a short time in there. <laughs> it is a long ride from number three to number 15, I believe that That's is. Right. So, woo! Yeah. So what's your number two? My number two is number 17, uh, which uh, we had kind of a side conversation about. It's another star that we did I didn't know. Uh, you know, obviously they made a big deal about Maggie Gyllenhaal and uh, Chris, uh, Kristen Stewart. Uh, mm-hmm. So... But Kate Blanchett is here, everybody, and I can listen to narrator. her amazing narrator. And I'm not the biggest Kate Blanchett fan, by the way, just mm-hmm. to put that out there. I think she's a great actress, um, but I wouldn't think her as a you know an audiobook narrator or uh, some voiceover actor. And she nails it, and I got so moved. I felt comforted in like a meditative mm-hmm. way. Uh, listening to her voice, the slow-moving vistas of an abandoned Los Angeles. Uh, you know, I found it inspiring and understandable. Uh, you know, it was very grounded, but very big messages, big comparisons. The ant uh, comparison that they say, where the the ant metaphor, where they the ant doesn't know that it's so small in the world. You know, Brilliant. it's so great. Um, so a lot of things are great. It's a great final video, great final message. And I can watch and listen to that one all day. She should have narrated every single one of these short films. (laughs) It would have made them exponentially better. I mean, if you think about what that short film was, it's just Anna Lily uh, Amirpour. She's just driving around the city on her bike. And Kate Blanchett's narration and the story that, you know, she was allowed to tell through that narration made the whole thing. I mean, the poignant thing she was saying, one thing after another, I totally agree. That was one of my top seven 
My number one, I think, is the best of these films. It's from the curator of the whole collection, Pablo Lorraine. It's film number four. It's called Last Call. And I don't want to give away the big spoiler of this, but everybody should watch this because this is one of the funniest uh, short films I've seen in a while, never mind in this collection. This one made me laugh really hard. Mike, and I don't want to spoil it for you, but that's also my number one. So we're on the nice. same page, buddy, uh, for once. It has nothing to do with children or messages. Sometimes you just need a laugh and a good story. Um, and this Great definitely story. had that. Um, like you said, Pablo Arrain, uh, the director of Jackie uh, with Natalie Portman and produced a film I just watched recently, Nobody Knows I'm Here, which is a Netflix original that just popped on the service. So check that one out. It's a little bit of a slow burn, but check it out. Also, he's Chilean, the films in Chile. Uh, so kind of going back to the roots there. But yes, um, lines like you piss covered old jerk. Uh, or if this virus was created for people like you long live the virus, I was like, wow, this is awesome. Uh, great twist. Like you said, don't want to ruin it for people, but awesome twist. Didn't see it coming. And it was really fun to watch. The, the best film, uh, short film I've seen all year, to be honest, and it should get considered. It's just Zoom conversations, but it's it's so well done, so well written. It's definitely going to be atop my list in terms of Oscar consideration, too. But, all right, so let's rip them off real quick. It starts out with Lajli by Lajli. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name. We're both lukewarm on this. Nice cinematography, yeah. right? All right, number two is the Paolo Sorrentino film, and I was I was considering putting this in my top three, but it's it's definitely one of the ones I like. It's two figurines, the Pope and Queen Elizabeth, yeah, and they're they're chatting, and it's bizarre and it's funny, and you're you're on board with that one too. Yeah, I'm on board. It was just fun, you know, <laughs> to have a romance between such odd characters. Obviously, not a shock with the Pope stuff here with uh, a guy who you know. <laughs> uh, did the whole second season of the young pope for hbo but man you know it is just silly dumb you get netflix branded entertainment <laughs> with the crown stuff uh you know the pope kind of comes off like a dick at times but it's still kind of fun when considering the larger picture so yeah i enjoyed it made me laugh it was amusing number three was the lucky ones by rachel morris in there the cinematographer and you're you're on board with it in your top three yep. and you're went you're talking me into it number four was our Number one film of this whole group, Last Call by Pablo Lorraine. Easily the best film of this collection, so everybody should watch number four in the homemade collection. Number five was Couple Splits Up While in Lockdown, LOL, by Rangano Neoni, the director of I Am Not a Witch. And I thought she was very clever with this. This is just text messages, the whole six or seven minutes. Yeah, I thought that I was liked lazy. It but it was yeah. lazy it was a little boring but it told a story and it told a sweet story so i was happy for that yeah it was a cute enough ending with the dog and everything it was funny at times but it felt like a bad rom-com my for children me, so yeah dogs are my children so that worked on me <laughs> espacios about the little kid i believe this was in mexico city kind of boring like i just kept thinking she was gonna fall yep can you answer me one thing if you remember it vividly enough <laughs> The broken door? What happened there? I, it kind of yeah, like comes out of floor. nowhere. It's not really near the hinge. Like the glass breaks, but she's nowhere near it. So I'm like, is this place haunted? What's going on here? 
as a parent, that's got to drive you crazy. Oh, yeah. She's walking around bare feet, but this is from Natalia uh, Beristain. She's a documentarian, writer, director, uh, and uh, Mexican filmmaker there. That was number six. Number seven was Casino by Sebastian Shipper, uh, director of Victoria, which was a one-taker, t- 2015, mm. wild movie. Uh, he's got a new movie coming out at Tribeca this year, Roads. But Casino, this was creative. It was just boring to me. Yeah, it's a fun idea. I got mad every time he cut his hair because he has beautiful locks. Mm-hmm. As a person who's uh, you know struggling with uh, you know thinning hair as we get older here, I was like, why would you do this to yourself? Uh, but I thought yeah. the song creation was a cool thought, a uh, cool idea for this whole thing, the multiple versions of himself. Uh, and the fact that it was something wrong with me as the refrain kind of echoes uh, the whole thing. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was fine. Uh, it wasn't going to climb the charts, but definitely uh, an interesting, fun idea. Sam Rockwell's Moon, just the short film <laughs> yes, kind of exactly. deal. Number eight was Last Message by Naomi Kawase, and I hated this one. Yep. It drove me nuts. Um, I think you're on board. What is Essential was number nine. So here's where we get it. Mike, just... can I say one last thing about the other one? The fact okay. that he had previously shot footage that was he listed and admitted to that it wasn't just some newly created thing in there as well, and it was bad, shame on you. <laughs> What is essential was number nine, and none of this was essential. This was so boring, and this is where I literally wrote Leaning Towards Never Having Children by David McKenzie, who's, who makes excellent films. Uh, and I even liked Outlaw King that was on Netflix a while back, and they were playing with the sword from Outlaw King, the kids. Right. Yeah, I mean, again, Netflix, always on brand. Got to always do that, which is impressive. Uh, One of the lines hit me kind of hard as a parent, obviously, same type of deal where it said, uh, the child said, first thing I'm going to do when this thing is over is give someone a hug. And it's Mm. a very simple thing, but it is something that my kids, my daughter, especially the five-year-old, the older one, uh, says all the time. Uh, These kind of plans for when the virus is over and kind of missing the affection and normalcy that is in affection um, but don't know how to verbalize it, you know, the, mm-hmm. what we're missing right now. Uh, most people think these kids are, you know, raised by devices and are fine with this type of situation. Uh, no, they're not. And I thought this one, at least uh, for when it was working, I don't think right. largely it works. But when it does work, I think it gets those messages across. Uh, but it didn't have much to say other than that. Yeah, he probably fed her those lines. It's, it's like possible. my cynical brain. <laughs> but this is like five movies in a row that even if you like some of these, these are boring-ass films, you, uh, inarguably yeah. boring-ass films. We And then that's why the tree-humping of number 10, <laughs> Penelope, <laughs> Maggie Gyllenhaal's film of her uh, significant other, I guess, Peter Sarsgaard, are they shipped? I didn't even know. I didn't but look that up, but uh, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah I would imagine. Guessing. If they're quarantined together. Anyway, you're not so much on that one. I am. Eleven was probably the worst of these films. Hold, Maybe hold on, Mike. I just wanted to make one point. Uh, one Got to add one extra note that I totally forgot. Not only was he making love to that tree, um, <laughs> and that's already off-putting <laughs> enough. The fact that he was doing it, I believe, next to a gravesite. Um, yes. as well so you got to throw that in there to make this seem extra creepy for the fact that you're into it and i'm not just want to put that out there thanks bye 
This this episode is not painting me a good light. <laughs> Number eleven, I hate kids. May ruin in the unicorn. Can't do it. Yeah. Awful. Terrible. Uh, I just have big letters. Why? In my notes here. Number twelve, Annex by Antonio Campos. Now, I, this was not executed well. This is the director of uh, the Sinner pilot with Jessica Biel mm. and Christine with uh, Rebecca Hall in it. And I think he was going for a narrative that was, was kind of cool. Like the kids find this guy washed up on a beach and the, the mothers bring the, the guy home and it's a strange story. It doesn't work in my opinion. And I kind of was blah about it. I will say for the, the terrible storm of crap that preceded this one, for the fact that this <laughs> one tried to have a quality narrative, uh, have something with, cloning and everything else uh you know possibly alien i don't know uh what exactly they were trying to do but man did they try harder to entertain versus inform or present and they definitely tried harder than a lot of the things that happened before it so i felt a little better about it than uh you at least in the moment but yeah it didn't stick with me much past that besides the fact that uh when you enter any of the homemade episodes it warns you that there's nudity there's no nudity except for this one so yeah, don't go looking totally for nudity and everything i thought every one of these was going to have nudity based on that very much a downside <sighs> especially the queen wanted to see the queen <laughs> the one man ass jumping into the pool yes. why that's film number 12 if you want that one <laughs> shot of a hiney yeah anyway 13 was johnny ma by johnny ma he's a chinese canadian filmmaker living in mexico and he he wrote a nice message to his mother he was make, making uh dumplings on mother's day and i was all amped up for this one and then he put cabbage in the goddamn dumplings <laughs> and totally ruined it for me yeah like i was just watering at the mouth he's making the dough and i'm ready and he's got all these chickens and these ducks like which one of those are gonna die and didn't fill those dumplings with nothing cabbage dumpling dumplings i was i, oh, I was just uh, really upset yeah I, I i'm i'm with you and i'm sure the the fact that he listed the recipe at the end just made you hurt even more just double down on your sadness Ugh. but i hope you appreciate that in my notes i literally wrote Call your mom, not you, Mike. We know you are a mama's boy. So at least, <laughs> you know, just to stay on brand for Mike, Mike, and Oscar, I wanted you to know how deep my notes go to also insult you or in, or acknowledge your uh, your mama's boy existence in some uh, regard. But I think this was a sweet meditation on his relationship with his mother and, sure. you know, the changing uh, emotional depth of Chinese people as generations pass as well. But, yeah, definitely could have gone without it it's fine so film number 14 was crickets by christian stewart and this is the worst thing she's ever done and that says <laughs> volumes i haven't seen what was it underwater yet or what is what, that i haven't seen i haven't seen either that yet, yet either so uh, to be determined and i'm not a twilight I, no, fan either. i'm so. making the declaration now That's tough crickets uh, yeah is the worst thing she's ever done it's it's aptly <laughs> titled let's put it that way right 15, Unexpected Gift. We both love that. Gorinda Chadha. 16 was uh, Algorithm by Sebastian Lelio. I love that, and I think you're on board with that one as well. Yeah. And then 17 was Ride It Out by Anna Lily Amirpour. I love the credits. 
because it says she is the director. I don't know if it said she's the writer, director, and bike rider, yeah. but it just was and bike rider made me laugh. And of course, this is Kate Blanchett narrating. So they they ended with a three really good ones. Strong. But there's a big slog in the middle there. And and maybe that could be said about a lot of Mike, Mike, and Oscar episodes. Definitely cannot be said today, though, Andrew. I really appreciate you hopping on doing this uh, this collaboration number eight for you and I and uh, yeah. this uh, crossover pod today. So, yeah, let's let's do the outro now. Tell people what's coming next for you and, and where they can find you. Well, uh, definitely, uh, you know, if you want to check out all the past collaborations we've done with Mike, Mike, and Oscar, obviously either – uh, look into your Mike, Mike and Oscar feed or go back, uh, you know, into our feed as well. Uh, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, nomcastpod.com uh, to go check out everything. The Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast uh, for all of that there. And obviously all your, you know, go out there and subscribe, review, do all the kind things that you people love to do uh, for us podcasters. Uh, you know, iTunes everywhere that you have it, Spotify, all that. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of good stuff uh, that I'm on other podcasts and other. So just Google me or follow me. Uh, the Nomcast is at Nomcast Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And I am at Jokes on Drew. Uh, on Twitter and Instagram as well. I'm a stand-up comic. I do the podcast. I write for other things. So definitely check me out uh, if you don't mind. And great job on the, on the website and great job on your last few episodes for sure with Eurovision to Defy Bloods and you know you had the Wasp Network there. I, I just caught the Wasp Network today and uh, yeah you, you're crushing it over there at the Nomcast and yeah, I mean, Mike, Mike, and Oscar, you guys know you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, uh, at Gmail. Just write Mike, Mike, and Oscar in there, A-N-D spelled out. Yes, we punctuate. There's a comma after each mic. <laughs> I don't know why we're grammar nerds. This this episode is painting me in such a terrible light. I hate kids. I want those ducks and chickens to die. I'm a grammar nerd. Oh man, may I, it, nine co- collabs. I'm gonna have to redeem myself on the ninth one. Anyway, we're at mm and Oscar on Twitter. That's the only you know differentiation in terms of our socials. And uh, we got MMOW coming next. Palm Springs Greyhound, First Cow, The Old Guard. Mike and I aren't sure what we're gonna review yet, but we're gonna review something at the end of next week. And earmuffs, Andrew. We're also going to review Hamilton some way, shape, or form. Uh, Then my wife will adore you. (laughs) So that is what's happening. Uh, I usually do the words of wisdom. Can I put you on the spot? Can you give our audiences some words of wisdom? You were very cathartic in how you, you know, talked about the short films at the end. I was the bitter film (laughs) criticy film critic. But you had some actual, you know, pearls that were over there. So any any words of wisdom to send us out on? Well, I mean, just for the fact that you highlighted a lot of great films uh, that are not on Netflix. Also, uh, you know, with some stuff on Netflix that I know is coming up. Uh, we got a lot of great films. You know, uh, film podcasts are not dead. You guys are doing three episodes a week. You're really cranking them out there. I'm proud of you. Uh, and... and Mike one as well for for all your stuff there and and for all you film fans you know obviously 
we're going to figure this thing out. You know, I have a lot of friends who still work in theater chains, and I used mm. to work there myself. So, Mike, I am not just the Netflix stan uh, here in this. I am obviously a person who uh, I still have gift cards for uh, movie theaters that I definitely want to enjoy sometime soon. Um, but I, I believe we'll be back uh, at least in our lovely state of Connecticut here, hopefully uh, sometime soon. And, you know, we'll get through this. And the films, uh, while not being at the top of the concern list, uh, definitely what you just rattled off, man. Palm Springs, I'm looking forward to big time. Love that it's on Hulu so I could watch it. Uh, First Cow, I love that they put that on streaming. Uh, I will definitely pay the money for that. And we have the old guard, Charlize Theron, uh, you know, action comic book movie coming out uh, this week as well. So there's some good stuff. There's good stuff coming out. So definitely be sure to stay uh, tuned on Mike, Mike and Oscar and the Nomcast, if you don't mind. And, you know, pay attention to these films. Get into it, guys. You know, this is what we do. And despite my performance in, in terms of my, or at least my character in this episode, please rate both our shows five stars on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> I forgot to mention that. Michael, kill me if I don't. We're, you know, we're making applications. It really, it really helps us in terms of getting credentials and all that stuff down the line. So if you can do that, we'd really, really appreciate it. It just takes a few seconds. Apple Podcasts is still, I think, Spotify's gaining on them, but they're still the biggest podcast. Uh, you know, uh, what what do you call that network out there? It's not even a network. They're just sure podcatcher platform. Podcast. Sure, yeah. So yeah, Apple Podcasts. Click the five star button after scrolling down uh, on our show pages. There, that helps us out a great deal. Andrew, this was a lot of fun yet again. I won't get all slogany at the end of this, but uh, you know, listen to the Nomcast, listen to MMO. We'll see you guys next time.